Hello and welcome to the Stuck Brain Podcast. All things mental health with a different approach. We look at the research, but we also discuss real life experience. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Stuck Brain Podcast. I am your host, Eric Osterland, and in this episode, I have a co-host named Pinky. She is a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. If you want to know more about her, you can go to the stuckbrainpodcast.com. Hello, and welcome to today's episode where we will be discussing something we all have in common, and that is problems. We all encounter problems in our daily lives. Unfortunately, that's just the nature of life and none of us are immune to it. I read something interesting the other day. An American author and psychotherapist, Virginia Satir, said, Problems are not the problem. Coping is the problem. What do you think of that? That is a great point. I mean, we're going to have problems throughout our life, and no life has no problems. That's just not possible. And so learning how to cope is important to get through them and push through all the problems that we have. At times, I think we can often find ourselves avoiding these problems because, let's face it, problems are not fun. They're uncomfortable. They invoke anxiety. And instead of actively trying to solve a problem, I myself, you know, hey, I'm going to empty the dishwasher instead of returning this email, or I'm going to play on my phone a little bit before facing this task that I need to complete. So coping mechanisms are definitely helpful because in the short term, they help ease that anxiety. It's kind of like a pacifier. Yeah, I'm going to sit here and scroll through my phone for a little bit, ease my anxiety before I face this problem. But when we overuse these types of coping mechanisms, it can become unhealthy. And that's when they're called maladaptive coping mechanisms. I think the number one coping mechanism for all of us is generally avoidance procrastination. We experience negative emotions related to facing the problem, so we tend to ignore it. Yeah, and we see that with people that abuse substances like alcohol, drinking too much alcohol to avoid the emotion. They want to avoid that feeling of anxiety. Yeah, and that's kind of also related to another maladaptive coping mechanism that's called emotional numbing where you're not leaving the house because you don't want to experience those emotions. And when you feel those emotions arising within yourself, you purposely shut them down to keep yourself from having a negative experience and having to deal with those emotions. A lot of people also tend to escape or avoid the situation. They may avoid a loved one that they might be having a disagreement with. They might be avoiding social situations because it makes them uncomfortable. I guess they're kind of tied together a little bit, numbing and escapism. When I think of that, I think of alcoholism. You're drinking because you're trying to escape and you're also trying to numb the emotion at the same time. Absolutely. And something else related to like substance abuse would be like self-harm or binge eating where you're Instead of approaching the problem that needs to be solved, you're adapting unhealthy behaviors to replace that activity that needs to be done. So oftentimes you'll, you'll find people turn to self-harm or binge eating, substance use, and things like that. 
sometimes people want to avoid the emotion so much that they'll try to replace it with something else. So they'll do a risk-taking behavior because that produces adrenaline, which is exciting. And sometimes that can replace the negative emotion. What's the first thing we could do if we notice we're doing negative coping strategies? How do we even know that we're doing maladaptive coping strategies? Well, maladaptive coping strategies prevent us from engaging in whatever problem needs to be solved. The problem that exists snowballs into something bigger. It keeps us from engaging in something and it actually reinforces and increases the anxiety that we're experiencing. Maladaptive coping behaviors have a negative biological response because we're activating the sympathetic nervous system, and it's releasing stress hormones like cortisol, which makes it more difficult to think clearly and make decisions that are going to lead you in a positive direction. I think the important thing in building healthier coping mechanisms is allowing yourself to recognize that you have been avoiding, and it's okay to avoid for a little bit to ease that anxiety. But then at a certain point, you have to develop an approach-oriented technique rather than avoidance technique. So if you're feeling negative emotions, if you're catastrophizing, it might be helpful to write things down. It might be helpful to list down what exactly is your worry, the different components of it, writing down what would be the worst-case scenario you know, everything you're imagining in your head that could go wrong, go ahead and write it down, put it on paper. And then also make a section for the most likely scenario. What is most likely to happen without catastrophizing the situation? And then write down how would I feel in two hours if this is the outcome? How will I feel in one day if the most likely scenario occurs? How will I feel in one week? And how will that affect me in the long term? When we put this down on paper, it allows our mind to be able to see that perhaps things are not as bad as our emotions are letting us think it is and allows us to restructure our thoughts and go ahead and approach those problems more effectively. I like that. So let me just repeat that back to you to make sure I understand it and our listeners understand it. The first thing is to do is to identify that you're avoiding in the first place. So let's take the phone example. You're, you got to make a phone call. You realize you're avoiding it. And then to pause and say, why am I avoiding this? Write down some thoughts that are associated with the avoidance. Like, am I catastrophizing? Am I making it out to be bigger than it is? And then what would happen if I don't make this phone call and the poor outcomes that that could provide? Did that kind of sum it up? Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, putting it down on paper kind of helps us make more sense of it and see things more objectively. There's another worksheet that I know you like to recommend to your clients pretty often that helps with restructuring and I think would be very effective in this scenario as well, where you list your automatic thoughts and emotions and you're asked to support it with evidence. Is this evidence versus opinion? And then try to find the underlying emotion that's attached to it. Working with a lot of clients, we do see the more you avoid, the worse it gets over time. So I have a lot of clients that are older and they're retiring and now they're having all this anxiety 
and depression because they've spent most of their life avoiding the hard things that they should have worked on. And they covered it up by working a lot or sometimes, you know, consuming alcohol or other substances to avoid the emotions. And then when they get to retirement age, they retire and then those emotions are forefront and they've been avoiding them their whole life. It's super important to not avoid, to head it straight on the sooner you can, the better. I think these coping mechanisms may provide some temporary relief initially, but over time, it generally increases anxiety and reinforces damaging behaviors. It reinforces fear of particular situations. It causes us to avoid family and friends, avoid engaging. It limits our use of our social skills. It can limit our uh, achievements. It can keep us from engaging in behaviors that would further our quality of life. What are some positive coping skills that we can replace? And so let's say I'm going to avoid the phone call analogy. And I realize I'm avoiding. What are some positive coping strategies that I can put in there? I think right off the bat, one is just to make yourself make the phone call or do the list thing, write it down. But are there are there some other techniques that we could do? There's also what they call distraction techniques. Now, distraction techniques doesn't necessarily mean what we're, what we're referring to earlier as an avoiding, but it's distracting yourself from those negative automatic thoughts and creating space for more positive, productive thoughts. So these distraction techniques include things like listening to music, engaging in breath work, journaling, meditation. All of these activities have a calming effect on our nervous system and allow us to be able to think through our problems and solve more effectively. And that's a good point. And there's other ones such as humor is a coping strategy where you could have a sense of humor about it. Oh man, I'm so scared to make this phone call, but I don't know why, and kind of make it into a joke per se. Now, there's a fine line with humor because I have seen people that they overuse humor and then it becomes kind of a maladaptive coping strategy, meaning it then falls into the avoidance thing where they just laugh everything off because they don't want to deal with it. Humor needs a fine balance. And I think that's true of any coping mechanism. Overuse of any particular coping mechanism will limit our growth. I think it's easier and more effective when you're using a variety of coping mechanisms to deal with your problems. So one of my favorite ones and one of my favorite topics to discuss is self-compassion. The reason I really believe in this is because self-compassion asks us to find and deliver love and compassion within ourselves rather than dwelling on negative thoughts such as shame, guilt, and self-judgment. And when we practice self-compassion, something happens biologically in our body where a neurotransmitter called oxytocin is released. Now, oxytocin is usually released in females during childbirth or in males and females when we are bonding or engaging in activities with our loved ones. The presence of oxytocin in our bloodstream and our brain creates feelings of security and bonding. So allowing us to love on ourselves really creates this positive space where you can work on your problems without being judgmental of yourself. Now, I got a question for you. How would we do that in the moment? Let's give an example. So I'm once again, we're going to go back to the phone example. I'm there. I'm catastrophizing about the worst case scenario. 
how would I change that stuck brain of catastrophizing and being the worst case scenario into self-compassion? Is there steps that I could do to make that transition easier? Yeah, one of my favorite self-compassion activities is called letter of self-compassion. So how you start is you describe an event that happened that led you to feel your emotions were out of control or you had unwelcome emotions. And then once you've got that on paper and you've delineated what exactly is bothering you, you write a brief letter to yourself, a letter with the message of forgiveness and acceptance for who you are and what you are feeling. And you speak to yourself as if you're speaking to your inner child, telling yourself that it'll be okay and that you are capable of getting the task done at hand. So then you could do that one or two times. You would be able to then maybe take a mantra from that letter and say, you know, I'm going to be kind to myself or create some kind of mantra after you do that letter. You could definitely take a mantra with it. And I think that The important message out of this exercise is a lot of us would never attempt to motivate others, our children or our loved ones, by listing their inadequacies or shaming them or judging them. Then why should we do this to ourselves? If there's anyone in the world who knows how to love you, it's you. So if you can provide that love and compassion to everyone in your life, You can definitely conjure up that compassion for yourself and speak to yourself in that positive, kind, accepting voice. Absolutely. It's hard to do that, but it's kind of a skill and you have to build that skill over time, being compassionate to yourself. I've heard of people where before they take a a sip of water or a sip of juice or something like that, they say, I deserve this. I am a good person each time they do it. And they do that just repetitive because they want that to be their initial thought patterns versus I don't deserve this. But everybody that I talk to that has a pretty positive narrative that they tell themselves, it takes work to get there. Not everybody has that. It's much easier to be negative towards ourselves. And so you want to sharpen that blade. And to sharpen that blade, it takes practice. You got to do it over and over. So simple activities like right before you eat a meal, I deserve this, I'm a good person, I'm going to be kind to myself, I'm going to nourish myself with this meal. That's exactly what self-compassion is, is reminding yourself that you are worthy. And you're right, it's counterintuitive to a lot of us because a lot of us have grown up with negative reinforcement. But research has shown that negative reinforcement is not nearly as effective as positive reinforcement. So like you said, it's so important to continue to engage in those self-compassion exercises. And doing it multiple times over and over again is going to strengthen that narrative and then hopefully push out that negative narrative or minimize it or mute it or even have the ability to change it quicker. That negative narrative, when it comes in, we can change it a little bit quicker and not be so hard on ourselves. Like you said, it's important to keep in mind that you can't eliminate the anxiety and fear, but by engaging in some of these practices like the cognitive behavioral worksheet, like distraction, meditation, mindfulness, you can dial down the intensity of that anxiety so that you can develop those adaptive coping mechanisms. I think the key is to just to start identifying when you have a negative narrative and when you're avoiding the situation. 
Why are you avoiding? Is it because of the negative narrative? I don't want to make that phone call because I'm afraid I'm going to look silly in front of these people or I'm not smart enough to make this phone call or I might get denied. Write that down and then reframe it in a positive manner and practice this over and over again. This is so important because studies have definitely shown the link between improved coping strategies and decreased psychological stress along with a better overall health and resilience. If you're struggling with this now and you need help, I would lean on somebody. So I would find either a coach, a therapist, somebody that's trained in this and either start CBT or DBT or some sort of therapy where you can start to help change these thought patterns. And in the beginning, we might need that help of somebody else to be able to see when we're avoiding, because we might not even be aware of it. You know, we're all stuck in our own stuff, me included. I'm in my own stuff. And so sometimes we need somebody on the outside to be like, hey, you're stuck in this stuff right now. You're avoiding, why are we avoiding this? And then once you build that trusting relationship with a therapist or a coach, you can get that outside opinion. That opinion and that perspective can be huge and you can use that to help change some of these thought patterns and behaviors and live a happier, healthier kind of life overall. I think working with a coach or a therapist, a third party is definitely helpful in that, like you said, they're picking up on things that you may not even be aware of. And although we've shared a few exercises with you, on how to cope with some of these maladaptive coping behaviors. Working with a therapist or a coach will help you dial in on what exactly your barriers are and working specifically on what you need. Because we all have them. We all have our barriers. They're there to protect us, but sometimes they're hindering us. And so we need to kind of be aware of that and start to change them. And that just takes a lot of work. Living a healthier life is a constant battle. It is. And it takes a lot of practice and consistency. And you're never perfect. You never one day reach the top of the mountain. And you're like, oh, I'm self-fulfilled. I'm self-actualized. It's a work in progress. If we set it as a goal, one day I will be there. That there keeps moving because eventually we get to that goal. And now, now what? Now I got to set another goal further out, except that this is a journey and I'll keep doing this every day. And I'm always improving. And I'm always moving in a positive direction is the key. Don't set a goal. Once I get here, I'll be this happier or I will be able to do this. Because once you get to that goal, you're just going to push it out further. I love that you said that. You're conjuring up that self-compassion. This is a journey. I'm doing great. I will continue to work on this. I deserve this. I am worthy. One of the ways we cope is through using our phones. So... This can be a maladapted strategy as well. We start feeling anxious, we pull out our phone, and we start scrolling through TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all those, and we're trying to soothe ourselves because we don't want to feel the emotion. What do you feel about that? I myself am guilty of this. I find myself pulling my phone out, and I'll pull out TikTok or Facebook, and next thing I know, especially TikTok, you know, an hour or two have gone by, and I haven't accomplished anything. And oftentimes this is an avoidance of something that really needs to be done. It's really just not an effective coping mechanism. One of the things I would suggest is if you're doing this, because I do that as well, Pinky, all of a sudden I'll be anxious, won't even know it. I'll have my phone in my hand and I'll be scrolling through certain apps. So what I did, and maybe this will help 
our listeners is one of the apps I used to scroll a lot on, Facebook. I actually ended up taking it off my phone and I put it, I said, I can look at Facebook anytime I want on the computer. I have yet to go back on Facebook because I put a hurdle. So one resource that I would recommend is if you're struggling with this, a great resource would be to read James Clear. It's called The Atomic Habit. It's a great book. And it talks about these habits that we don't even know about that we we just end up doing. So one of the things you could do is put a hurdle in front of that habit. So if you're, if you're finding that you're scrolling on Facebook to avoid emotions or self-soothe because you're feeling something, put some kind of hurdles in front of it. I think that's a great idea. And and I'd like to add one of the things that I like to do is as soon as I come to the realization I've spent too much time on my phone scrolling or playing, I put my phone down and pull out a pen and a paper instead and start jotting down whatever is coming to my mind. And you'll be surprised at how much information you'll realize about yourself once you start putting it down on paper. And that right there, you're already starting to address those things that you have been avoiding by scrolling on your phone. And it it really does provide a good sense of relief by letting you examine what exactly is bothering you rather than avoiding it by scrolling through social media. So I'd love to call upon our audience members to share with us what's going on in their lives as far as coping mechanisms. How do you identify when you're avoiding certain situations? What do you do to face them? And what have you found that tends to help you. Once again, thank you for listening to our podcast. And those of you that have taken time to leave reviews and contact us through Instagram, thank you. You can see the show notes at stuckbrainpodcast.com. You can also visit us on Instagram at stuckbrainpodcast, and you can leave what topics you want to hear next.